Welcome to the Deconstructing Data Podcast. I'm Jesse Lezak, CMO at BDEX, along with David Finkelstein, BDEX's co-founder and CEO. How's it going, David? How was CES? Hey, Jesse. Um, it's going good. I'm back from CES. Yeah, it was uh, it was busy. It was crazy, exhausting. Um, you know, always the you know the travel is always a pain. But uh, we had a lot of you know, met a lot of good people. Had a great um, set, you know, number of sessions, meetings. I think it went really well. I think that it was really interesting and great to see a much larger focus in ad tech uh, than I think has ever really existed at CES before. Um, and so that was truly interesting. But uh, on top of that, I spent only about two hours on the showroom floor and I uh, got to see some pretty neat things from robots running around everywhere to <laughs> lots of new autonomous vehicles and, um, and, and would you believe John Deere even kind of stole the show with some of the huge equipment that they brought out. You know? So it was, it was pretty neat. That is awesome. Uh, well, and I heard there was a lot of talk about AI and machine learning, which we'll be getting into today. Um, so nice. Well, um, Let's welcome in today's guest who has over 20 years of experience in the interactive industry, including leadership roles at Rubicon Project and CBS Interactive. Um, they're a seasoned expert in the field. He holds also a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from Yale University and an MBA from Columbia Business School. He is the co-founder and CEO of Cognitive. Let's welcome in Jeremy Fain. Thank you Thank so much you. for being here. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, we're, we're happy to have you here, Jeremy. Um, that was a great introduction, Jesse. But uh, Jeremy, would love to have you kind of kick us off a little more and uh, hear a little more about your background, uh, what led you to Cognitive, and, and maybe tell us a little bit about the problems that Cognitive solves. Sure. Well, first of all, I just wanted to say I, uh, I apologize for my lack of a great Zoom background, a great uh, uh, video background. This is my first day in a new house. So oh, wow. this is the best I can do. White walls blurred out. So I appreciate uh, your backgrounds and all the, all the detail uh, put into them. So just quickly about cognitive and myself. Uh, my background has mainly been in uh, digital marketing, one way or another on both the buy side, the sell side, and then in the middle uh, with ad tech. I started off as a consultant right out of college, um, sort of the standard PwC consulting, technology consulting um, gig. I, it, but it was, it was in the late 90s, early 2000s when that happened, and the internet was really just beginning to be a thing, the internet, the World Wide Web, as it was called at first. And that was really where my passion was. My background was in coding in high school and in college, I did web development for my student job. So helping companies understand how the web could be used for business, for marketing, for really for uh, connecting with their customers in a new way. That was really my passion. So that's really been the, the, the focus of my career. Um, after that, I joined a startup for a very short amount of time before the whole bubble burst. 
and then ended up at Digitas. Digitas, before it was a publicist agency, it was one of the first full service digital agencies out there. It had gone public already. It used to be Bronner.com and went, went public as Digitas. And I got to be there at a very exciting time. That was sort of my introduction to what um, we could do as a, as a business organization, as a services organization to help big businesses. We helped build the first uh, American Express membership rewards site where people could go on and transfer points uh, into uh, travel and things like that. We were we helped uh, Barnes and Noble build their first e-commerce portal and search portal. You know, those were the exciting times in the early 2000s where everything was new and, and shiny. I then went on to Columbia Business School, of course, and I really wanted to get into the advertising side of the business. So long story short, I moved over to the IAB, actually, the Interactive Advertising Bureau, also sort of in its infancy at the time, and helped really figure out how to make advertising scale because... Uh, most people don't remember this, but uh, back in the early days of the internet, there was AOL, there was Yahoo, there was MSN. Those were three giant uh, powers in internet advertising. Uh, but everybody could code their own sizes of ads. So there was like a thousand different sizes of ads. Every uh, And every agency and every uh, advertiser had to come up with their own sizes. And so it was impossible to scale that model to the entire internet. So I was part of the IAB when we got to fix all those problems. It was really exciting. Then I went on to CBS Interactive to help launch their programmatic uh, strategy. And then Rubicon, uh, because they were a big part of that uh, beginning of programmatic and RTB. And then after that, I decided that there was a lot of opportunity um, on the, the buy side to use this new technology called deep learning. And so here we are today. Wow, that's that's really neat. Thank you so much for sharing your background. Um, this is gonna be a great discussion. So, I mean, let's just get right into these topics. I'll pull it right up on the screen. Everybody's talking these days about AI with, you know, of course, chat GPT being the new buzz. Um, and so I was hoping you could kick us off and. Talk about the evolution of AI in marketing. You know, are we as far along as as we really think? What do you think? Uh, if we think that we're not very far along, then that's probably pretty true. Mm -hmm. um, look, marketing, I think in general, when it comes to new technology and you're talking about new technology, um, advertising in general is pretty slow, actually. Uh, there's, there's a lot of skepticism from marketers about new technologies. And so what I talk about from an AI perspective is there's AI in marketing. Um, marketers and brands may not even know that what they're doing has AI tools involved in it. And just like with any advertising technology or marketing technology, uh, a marketer is always going to be much more interested in um, the solution, the problem that you're solving, and not necessarily how it's being solved. Uh, they may test you because it has this new sort of word AI in it or machine learning or deep learning, or this is what self-driving cars do, so let's try it. But in the end, it's really a very solutions-based 
uh, industry. And as long as the solutions are there, um, you'll get more and more adoption. And I think that's that's where a lot of AI companies and advertising and marketing are sort of going wrong. I think they're they're leading super hard with an AI um, uh, script and really not focusing enough on how AI is really being able to help automate um, a lot of the problems that advertisers and marketers are having right now. What about yeah, you? I agree. Yeah, I agree. That's interesting. Um, you know, we always talk to our clients about uh, when we're talking about AI or ML um, outcomes. And so, um, yeah, there's solutions, um, but ultimately uh, often the, you know, what really is the, the end result is what is the outcome, right? Is it driving um, an increased ROI or return on ad spend or, or however yeah. you're measuring conversions? Uh, that's really ultimately uh, what, you know, a brand is looking for out of their ad campaign. So I think that while we're talking about a lot of different types of solutions that are evolving around AI and ML, uh, to your point, we've really only hit the, the tip of the iceberg. There's really not a lot going on besides a lot of talk. Uh, but I think as it evolves more and more and uh, companies are able to demonstrate what those outcomes are, uh, I think that you'll see a lot more uh, actual adoption uh, of, of specific uh, solutions uh, for, um, you know, for advertisers as that, you know, as those outcomes become um, revealed and, and evolve. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say the trend right now, at least the discussion is uh, about automation, right? That's what the AI tools that exist today can really do. Automation is really where, uh, the AI tools of today that are really working well can help marketers with things like ad operations and uh, tagging. Uh, of course, what we do at Cognitive, which is optimizing performance campaigns and finding new audiences at scale and new, you know, picking the right impressions and things like that. Things that humans have a hard time doing, mm -hmm. helping out trading uh, teams with you know, all the things that they, they don't have enough time to do. There's a lot of staffing problems at the agency and the marketer right now, just because of the, the, um, the uh, employee pool is tight. So all the things that they need help with, which is time management, more efficiency, that's what AI can really be helping with. And I think that's what marketers should be really focused on. Like there's a lot of talk about chat GPT, of course, generative AI, uh, these, these uh, art, art um, AIs, those are great. Those are brand new. Those are really interesting. They're a lot of fun to play with, but they're not yet business solutions. Whereas um, more traditional deep learning, and I say traditional, it's only been around for five to seven years now, but more traditional deep learning, supervised learning problems are really pretty good at this point and really are great at automating and predicting outcomes. Those are the things that marketers should be paying attention to. Yeah, good point. It's one thing to be able to use, you know, something like ChatGPT to generate content, but it's another thing to be able to feed uh, feed that with actual uh, results of the campaign and use that to actually learn and generate better content, you know, to to drive more um, more uh, actions. And so we're not really there yet, right? I mean, there's there's sort of 
these separate functions where you can generate, you know, it, you know, use AI to generate images which could be used for and for ads and different variations of ads. And then there's the same thing with respect to copy. Um, but to be able to feed that in real time uh, is is you know sort of a generation away from where we are today. Yeah, and, and ChatGPT and the chatbot AI technology is pretty good for chatbotting and for automating uh, customer service at a lot of levels. So that is ready to go. It's not much of a marketing tool, but it's definitely a business tool at this point. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Well, you guys have both mentioned deep learning. So let's get into our second topic, the advantages of deep learning for marketing and advertising. Um, so in parentheses, we have performance, automating, campaign optimization, and customer acquisition. So I'll start with you again, Jeremy, if you don't mind. Could you talk to us about some more advantages of deep learning for marketing and advertising? Yeah, I, I think it's important to take some time here to talk about what deep learning is compared to machine learning and AI in general. And, and for those who aren't really familiar with the definitions, AI is used a lot because it's the all-encompassing term. AI includes machine learning and any kind of computer learning. Uh, machine learning is a subset technically of AI and has been around for a long time and includes things like decision trees and uh, logistic regression and things like that. But then there's deep learning. And deep learning is really a tidal wave of change. It's, a, it's very different. It's sort of a, a whole nother universe of machine learning. And, and you see that. You've seen that in the evolution of technology and how we interact with it in, in the world in the last 10 years. Siri was the first sort of main usage that you heard of, uh, of deep learning, even though you didn't know it was deep learning. But before deep learning, we couldn't talk to our devices. Uh, computers couldn't really see. Computer vision wasn't good. Facial recognition wasn't good. Uh, Self-driving cars were truly science fiction. And then all of a sudden, over a few years, all those things were sort of almost a reality. And of course, they're not perfect. But they went from being totally imperfect and not usable to almost really as if a human were doing these things. And that's because deep learning enabled all that. Without getting into the weeds of it, deep learning allows computers to generalize an input to the things that it's learned already. So Siri can generalize my voice or Alexa, my voice to other voices it's heard before, even though it's not heard my voice. Uh, Self-driving cars can generalize a situation they're in. A person walks across the street that's short or tall or, or uh, um, wearing a winter coat or in shorts or things like that. And it can generalize that to any person it's ever seen cross the street in this situation. That's the big difference in deep learning because humans, weren't a, humans were the only ones able to do that. That was our superpower. Uh, computers really didn't have that human intuition uh, before deep learning, and then after deep learning, they did. So generalization is the key to how we're making all these huge strides in how we interact with technology. And then if you take it a, a, a sort of the logical step further, deep learning generalization, generalization is what we do in marketing, right? We're trying to find more people to buy our stuff. 
To do that, we've always been trying to generalize the people who are already buying our stuff, finding more of those people. That is how we use uh, AI, deep learning uh, for marketing. And we can finally do it in a way that's sophisticated enough that the generalizations can happen at scale. And so now marketers can solve that scale problem that they've always had, trying to find new customers efficiently, because generally to find new customers, you're spending a lot of money and getting very little return. And so that's what deep learning can do in marketing. Just one of the many you know, opportunities there are right now. That was really great. I liked how you started from the basics there. So thanks for that. David, what would you add about deep learning? Well, it's fascinating because, you know, I think that technically the capabilities have been around for a long time, but what, where we are today and the ability to process data at scale is what has enabled us to, to advance so much in the last few years, like you said. Um, and so that what's really interesting about that is that if you think about where we're going from a data processing capabilities point of view, uh, it's only going to continue to get better where we'll be able to process more data more quickly um, at scale uh, over and over. And that's just going to allow more and more applications to what exactly, uh, Jeremy, what you're talking about. So I think that you know, time is our friend here in the sense that as time passes, it's only going to get better and better simply because of our ability to, to process data at scale uh, is improving uh, more and more literally every day. Absolutely. Yeah. The more we can understand about a person or a product or a device, um, the more data we can collect about how its interactions are working and what it's doing and things like that, or a person, um, the more accurate and effective deep learning can be and it's getting cheaper and cheaper to do. So it's all, it's all happening now. Yeah. I always talk about, you know, what we do today in the, in, in the machine learning that we're doing and the analysis of, you know, 40 billion data um, signals that we see per month is something that, you know, if you go back five, six, seven years ago, it would have been a lot more difficult to do than it is today. And now it's like, we, you know, we don't even think about the volume of data that comes in. There's, you know, more data, sure, just throw more data at it because we can process it. And, uh, you know, years, you know, just a number of years ago, we couldn't do that before. And now we're looking at, okay, not how much data can we process, but how can we just make it happen faster and faster so that we can make more real-time decisions? Real quick, just a little announcement. It sounds like we're freezing on LinkedIn. So you can catch us on YouTube. I popped it in the comments on LinkedIn. So speaking of data, we're getting lots of data that LinkedIn is having some issues. So <laughs> yeah, sorry to interrupt that comment. But yeah, find us on YouTube as well. But anything else on this comment or on this topic? Did we cover uh, everything on it? Performance, automating campaign optimization, customer acquisition? Well, I'd say the only other thing that I'll add is just, uh, you know, one of the things that we've been talking a lot about uh, at BDEX is you know, basically feeding the AI. And, you know, I mentioned it as far as with ChatGPT. There's not really a, a capability right now to use that in a way where you can feed back and say, okay, what? you know, here's the copy I'm going to use now, which copy worked and automatically feed it back. So you have the sort of that feedback loop that can automatically 
uh, continue to, to improve the, the performance of a campaign. Uh, that's something that we're working on uh, on our end through our platform, uh, because I think that the more like when we're building an audience through Omni IQ, we're using machine learning to build that audience. And, and much like you said, Jeremy, find more customers that look like your best customers. Uh, but then adding that second element to it so that we can then, you know, put a piece of code on a website, uh, determine whether the, you know, the, the user that came in for some sort of action conversion, whatever it is, uh, actually came from that campaign and feed it back into the AI so that it continue, can continue to learn to further um, optimize that audience. And I think that that's sort of the, the next step in the evolution of what you're going to see with a lot of these different deep learning, ML, AI, different applications, uh, no matter what you call it, uh, that that is really the sort of the next uh, piece of the puzzle, that getting that feedback loop is what is going to further optimize the uh, uh, the campaign or, or whatever it is, the AI that you're using, so that you can uh, continue to improve performance. And I think when that starts to happen more and more, no, there's no limit to, to what we'll be able to do going forward. Yeah, so that's a great that's a great uh, description of what the power of deep learning is supposed to be about. So let, why don't I just give a little example of how we do it at Cognitive. So our goal at Cognitive is to develop custom algorithms for advertisers and marketers that help them uh, find new customers in the right place at the right time with the right message. Um, and so what we ultimately do as part of our product lineup, and I'll use this as an example, is that we can tell a, an advertiser which impression to buy. We can either buy it for them or they can buy it through their own DSP, through a, 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 what we call a dynamic PMP. But just, a, just as a quick, simple example, deep learning gets better and better and is self organizing, right? What does that mean? That means that you train it on historical data, right? Who bought the product? Let's look at all those people. We, we and BDX, we have information that we gather about consumers, let's say in the United States. And so now we know who is already doing the thing you want more of. That's our labeled data set. Okay. So we take that data and we train an algorithm to say, okay, here are all the people that are already doing the thing that we want, uh, filling out an insurance quote, uh, buying a thing at a store, uh, like a, like a, like a consumer package, good thing at, at, at a Kroger or something like that, or walking into a store with a footfall, uh, data, et cetera. It doesn't matter coming to the site, signing up for a test drive, any of those things. All right. These are the people already doing it. The algorithm will then compare all those people to all the other people it knows things about and tries to find things that that make put them in common. Then what we do, that's before we even launch a campaign. Then we launch the campaign and the algorithm starts picking and choosing and experimenting uh, on what ads to buy, where and when. And if the advertiser is advanced enough, we can actually experiment on what messages go to each person at each time at each place. And so we can optimize on all four of those sort of different uh, uh, 
axes, all right? We start buying advertising. We see if those people that we've chosen, these new people, uh, convert and do the things that they need to do. We feed that, just like any test, we feed the answers back to the algorithm to say you were right or you were wrong. Uh, and that's called back propagation. That's like a pretty unique thing, deep learning, generally speaking. So you're actually feeding answers on a real-time basis back into the algorithm and it's adjusting itself based on those answers. So it's gonna get closer to things it's right on and it's gonna go further apart in its next guess on the things it's not, didn't get right. So that's the beauty of deep learning. That is the power of this feedback loop that David was talking about, is that you test, you try something, you get the answer, and the algorithm continues to get better. So an older algorithm in deep learning is actually better and wiser, generally speaking. And it can also adjust when things change, like the message changes, different people are going to, uh, if you change your whole you know, uh, creative campaign, different people are gonna respond. The cool thing about deep learning algorithms is that in marketing is that they should be able to respond in relatively real time and adjust to the new people that are gonna respond to those messages. That's why it's so cool. That's why it's fully automated. Jesse, you're on mute. Oh no, I hate that mute button. <laughs> we talked a lot about you know, deep learning in this topic. So I'm thinking maybe we'll move on to this one. I think, I know I'm pretty excited to hear, you know, what, what you think all the wishes are for marketing and advertising industry in 2023. Who wants to take this one first? I guess I, I'll, I'll pick on our guest if you don't mind, Jeremy. Again? All right. Well, <laughs> uh, are these my wishes or the industry's wishes? The industry's wishes. Um, I hope that the industry's wishes are a identity first solution to the cookie list future. Uh, and I say that because the cookie list future is already here. All right. Whether Google gets rid of the cookie in the end or not, Apple's already done it. That's 50% of the traffic, 50% of the users, at least depending upon where you are. And so right now, advertisers or marketers have no attribution and no tracking on half of the people in the United States. And some would argue that iOS users are more valuable, et cetera. So um, I hope that that is the wish. We are not seeing enough of that. So that's also my wish. My wish is that advertisers or marketers uh, take, it, take adoption of a probably going to be multiple third party privacy first alternative IDs to cookies um, that are not generally cohort based because that's not going to be very helpful to any marketer or advertiser. So any kind of solution that's cohort based, unfortunately, is just not, I don't think it's a very viable solution. Um, it needs to be pretty much a one-to-one -one solution still, but again, privacy first as, as we've been moving, as the industry's already sort of self, um, self-regulated itself to be, but that's my biggest wish, uh, for 2023, because the time is now 50% of the traffic out there is Safari or iOS or, or whatever. And, um, 
and it's and and advertisers can't get attribution unless they adopt those IDs. That's right. What do you think, David? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, talking about what you said, uh, further to what you said, it's, uh, you know, there's been this weird challenge in the sense that there's probably 100 or maybe 200 different companies out there that are claiming to have a cookie-less ID. And so there's no interoperability between all of them. And so that's the biggest challenge. And so I, I agree that, uh, you know, there's this sort of wish to sort of standardize on something so that uh, the industry as a whole can move forward uh, and be more efficient. Uh, going forward. Uh, I think that's, that's, you know, sort of the ultimate goal and how we get there is, uh, I'm not really sure yet. Um, but I think that also, you know, for me on a, on a personal level, um, I think that, you know, one of my wishes, uh, I would say is that, um, there's, uh, well, I, I, I guess it's not, uh, I'm going to go back to the industry. I think one of the other things that the industry is looking for also is um, some uh, clarity on performance, uh, because I think that one of the problems in the past, and, and we've seen it, you know, the reason why there's so many advertisers are leaving so many different social media platforms is because I don't think that there was a lot of transparency with respect to performance. Uh, there's so many bots and click farms and all these things out there that were generating uh, a lot of advertising dollars. Um, and, you know, Twitter's coming into light uh, about that as well. And so I think a lot of advertisers have left those platforms because they, they lack the transparency and they don't really know that they're advertising to real people. So I think that overall, there's an industry wish that that problem can be solved, uh, that there is some clarity and transparency as to uh, who they're advertising to uh, and, and that they're real people. Um, and so for me, and so now I'm going to get to the, my wish. And so for me, my wish is, is kind of in that light where I'd like to see the industry as a whole take more, um, more of a stance towards uh, combating uh, fraudulent advertising um, where, where all that's going with respect to bots and click farms and, and all kinds of other types of ad fraud. Because I think that has hurt our industry significantly. It's taken a lot of um, dollars away from, from a lot of uh, platforms, but it's also uh, create put, you know, basically just a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths with respect to where they're going to spend their dollars. And uh, I think that as a whole hurts the industry. And so while there's always going to be these bad actors there and, and having been in this industry long enough, um, I've, I've seen that we've constantly had to find ways to combat different types of fraud, but I think that it's important to address it head on and find solutions that will, uh, you know, that will resolve it as, as best as possible so that we can improve and increase the advertisers trust in their ad spend. That's a really important one, David. Thanks for mentioning that. Sure. And, and along those lines, I guess I'll say one of my wishes for marketers and advertisers this year is that they start to focus on their data more. There's really no excuse to send, you know, to be receiving um, bad mail, something that's wrong, you know, like shouldn't be targeted at me. Um, and I think you're going to start to get your audiences to respect you more if you can start to target them deterministically. It's time to start, you know, focusing on our own customer data, cleaning up our own customer data, weeding out the bad fraudulent stuff like you were talking about, 
David, so that we can go out and deterministically target the right people and save money on direct mail or your advertisement or, um, yeah, we don't want to target bots, but we also just don't want to target the wrong people. So 2023 has to be the year we focus on our data, especially as cookies are deprecating with Google, possibly. I mean, they keep delaying it, so we'll see what happens. But mm-hmm. anything else you guys yeah. want to add on this one before we move on to tech stacks? No, that's good. That was a great one to add. Great. So this is one of my favorites. I love to hear, you know, what what tools are people using in their day-to-day lives to make their lives more efficient or you and your team? Um, so what tools might you share, Jeremy? Well, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I am a super user of Google Docs and Gmail and all those things at this point in my life. I never thought I would adopt it, you know, when I did, and now, you know, our whole company is run off of that platform. I wouldn't say Google Meet itself is very good. We we generally use a Zoom uh, link instead of a Google Meet link, just because we, you know, just the functionality works better on Zoom. Uh, those are those are really important things for the company uh, fundamentally. But um, we use Slack. Uh, Slack is also a really good way to keep track of a lot of different conversations and to make sure that everybody's up to speed. So, you know, I think those are pretty standard answers. What I'd like to say from a small company perspective, we have about 65 people now. We'll go to hopefully 100 this year. And we've made the calculation that until we get to about 150, 200, that using um, a, a, a a PEO company. I don't know if anyone's ever talked about that, but from a tech stack perspective, we use Trinet for almost all of our back office HR and payroll. Um, and that makes my life as a CEO and, and my team's life from a finance perspective and an HR perspective, extremely easy. I don't want this to become like a big ad for Trinet. Uh, JustWorks is out there and Paychecks is out there, and I, I've heard that they're all great. Also, we've always been a Trinet company, but the amount of people it would take me to handle all the things that they do from a platform perspective, from a resources perspective, is really just makes our lives much easier. And and, a, and as a founder, as a startup founder, um, that's super important. It was super. It was very easy for us to start our company because of Trinet and all those things. And I see a lot of uh, uh, comments we're getting in um, about Slack. And I got to be honest, I'm a little old. I don't, I don't know if I'm a great Slack user, but my company loves it. We we do, we do use it right. I, I can do Giphy's and uh, some Slack bot stuff. So so I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm like a medium Slack user right now. I mean, who doesn't love a good Giffy or Jiffy or like, Jiffy, Giffy. Giff? Yeah, sh- sort of showing my age. I, I think, you know, my age people call it gifts, but it's probably Yeah, wrong. me too. Yeah, um, that, that was good actually. And and actually I'd never thought of Trinet as as to to mention that as as one of our tax stacks as well. Because we use Trinet as well, and I agree hundred percent. It's like uh, ever since we added Trinet, it's like it, it's just a game changer as far as time saver. Um, again, uh, you know, handling so many responsibilities, uh, with one touch, you know, 
one touch point. So I agree with that one. That's a good one. Absolutely. Well, we still have eight minutes left. So if you don't mind, I'm going to at least get into a couple of questions here, if not maybe just one here. Um, so here are our post topic questions. And the first one, Jeremy, is what are, and David, you know, what are some of the obstacles for AI, we'll say slash deep learning, um, gaining widespread adoption in the industry? So what are the options, what are the obstacles to, to gaining widespread adoption with those? Well, I'll just say, I feel like I touched a little bit on the, the answer to this already. You know, I think AI sounds scary or fake or a lot of, a lot of companies have sort of been burned in, in the past you know, 20 years because machine learning has been around a long time. The idea is not new. Um, it just hasn't really executed as well as it has before now. It's sort of like saying, you know, for those who are old enough, if anyone remembers this, this dictation software called Dragon Naturally Speaking, it was okay. You had to train it a lot. It didn't really work well. And it was really before deep learning came along. And then all of a sudden deep learning came along and you could dictate anything with almost no, uh, by now with almost no issues and chat GPT can write papers for you and all those things. So it's a, it's less science fiction today, but I think a lot of marketers have been burned by quote unquote machine learning in the past. And the vast majority of companies out there are still only doing machine learning. Deep learning is very hard to find resources, very hard to find expertise, but um, that is changing drastically out of the universities. Um, the training programs are there. So I think deep learning resources will be more available to every company in the future. Yeah. How about you, David? Do you see any other obstacles with companies adopting deep learning or in AI? Well, it, further to what Jeremy said, yes. I mean, certainly there's the science fiction um, aspect of it where people uh, get scared and think, you know, machines are going to take over the world. <laughs> um, and, you know, they, they immediately think of, you know, the Terminator or something like that, um, especially when it comes to like coming out of C CES. You know, there were a lot of robots there. There was a lot of robots that were trained to do all kinds of things, and they're using uh, AI to, to learn from their actions and things like that. So I think that there's definitely that uh, thought process where people are a little scared of what that means. Um, some of that, on, honestly, I think just comes from misunderstanding because, you know, again, you know, the, an AI can only do what you teach it to do, right? So um, there's a lot of... Uh, you know, when you look at ChatGPT, the, the limitations are that it only has, you know, it doesn't have any current event data, right? It only has data up to 2021. So it doesn't really know anything about what's, what's happened in the past year. So it's, while it, 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 you know, it serves a purpose, there's, there's limitations to it um, based on the data that it's been given. Uh, and so I think that that's, uh, you know, I, I think those are really kind of the concerns that people have is that, you know, is uh, are we going to sort of lose control in some way? Um, and so there's fear around that. Um, I think that uh, the other thing is people are, are concerned about what it means for, for jobs. You know, what does this mean? How, how, if, how much can this advance to the point where it's, you know, replacing a lot of people. And so as a business owner, that's really interesting, right? Because if, you know, if I can get more things done, you know, automation, you know, 
you know, creates uh, efficiency in many ways. Uh, but I think as uh, as people look, you know, at the workforce itself, uh, a lot of people are thinking, okay, well, I have to make sure that you know this doesn't put me out of a job. You know, whether you're in marketing, advertising, or you know, whether you you're in manufacturing. Yeah, there's there's two different sides of that. I think in our industry, frankly, we've always had a talent problem. We've never had enough people. Uh, it's hard to keep people. Uh, everyone's overworked. And so from an automation perspective, there's opportunity there. But as David said, from other areas where the repetitive sort of manual labor is going to be replaced, there's a lot more from a social uh, implication to societal implication of how those robots are going to replace um, uh, sort of uh, a different skill set of of uh, of the of the country and and how that's going to affect us. But uh, you know, on on I think the white collar areas that we're talking about, especially in marketing, the only thing I would say to that is that. Uh, when spreadsheet, computer spreadsheets came out, computers came out, everyone thought they were going to be automated out of jobs and new jobs were created and new, new time, you had more time to do things better in a different way. So I think that's where we're going to see it in marketing, uh, especially in the next five, 10 years. But there's, there's larger implications of society outside of marketing. Absolutely. Great. That's all good stuff. So if you're watching, I mean, I guess really the the suggestion there might be start to embrace AI and machine learning and deep learning and start to learn it so that you don't get left behind. Um, so this was all really great. Um, in closing, Jeremy, would you like to tell listeners how they can find you? Sure. It's pretty simple. My uh, email is jeremy at cognitive.ai. We spell cognitive without the E because we're a cool startup and that's, you know, you don't use a full word, of course, <laughs> in your name. So cognitive.ai and uh, check out our website. You know, we have a lot of different, we have uh, some interesting podcasts about uh, marketing AI ourselves. You can find that through our website or through our LinkedIn pages and things like that. But again, thank you very much for having me. This has been really interesting. David, thank you. It's been really interesting to hear what you have to say about the industry. And I look forward to seeing you all around the circuit. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah, thank you both. Um, and to further close us out, you can find the Deconstructing Data podcast on all major podcast app, YouTube, TikTok, as well as LinkedIn and Twitter. Also, we've I hope we've inspired you enough to want to learn about your own audience and use machine learning for yourself. So we have OmniIQ. I'm going to put a QR code up here on the screen. So go ahead and scan that QR code. Head over to OmniIQ. And you don't need a credit card. You can create an account, upload a CSV list of your customer data, and get some free analytics on it. You can understand better their gender, household income, um, and birth year. So then, of course, you can upgrade to find out more. But yeah, definitely check out OmniIQ. You can simply, for those of you on the podcast who can't scan the QR code, go to bdex.com, click the Try for Free button, and um, like I said, just upload that CSV list and start to learn about your data and use machine learning to expand it to find more customers like your existing customers. Um, but otherwise, we'd love to hear from listeners. You can reach us at info at bdex.com. 
Share your qualitative data with us so we can always make the Deconstructing Data podcast better for you. Thank you all for being here. And until next time, we will see you next week. Thank <laughs> you.